Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Witch Cafe. And tonight we have Mr. John Ramirez here. I want to do a quick thank you to anybody joining in the chat. And if you're listening on Anomalous Podcast Network, thank you for listening there. And feel free to shoot me any feedback. And also, if you are listening on YouTube, you can support by giving me a like, a thank you. Um, there's some links, you know, um, in the description for both John and I and ways to support. And uh, yeah, just thank you for your support. I said support like 90 times, but thank you. <laughs> so tonight we have, you know, Mr. Don Ramirez. And most of you will know who he is. But if we have some random, you know, witches listening that might not know who he is or some random people not knowing who he is, um, John, do you mind telling us a, a quick bio? Sure. Um, I served 25 years in CIA from 1984 to 2009. And the course of my day job, uh, which has nothing to do with UAPs, UFOs, ETs, I did encounter instances where uh, such phenomena was presented as part of my day job that I saw that the Russians tracked orbs with their radars. And that's just one example of some of the high strangeness that we deal with at CIA. Um, and so I had a long, uh, lifelong interest in this topic, even before I joined CIA from childhood. And I had many experiences from childhood all the way to just recently um, in my adult life. And so um, for me, um, I know a lot of people are interested in nuts and bolts about the, about the craft. Uh, they just want to like show me the saucers and show me the bodies. But I am more about... Oh, why are we seeing the craft to begin with? What are these orbs all about? What is the message that these visitors want to convey to us that might impact where we're taking the world? Because I think we do have free choice. I don't think they push us to do anything. Uh, it's our choice, but they're presenting us with those choices and um, perhaps a clue into if we make the wrong choice, what could happen? And so, that is like some of the um, nuclear missile incidents that we've read about that have been documented by Robert Salas at the Minuteman II silo. He was at at Maelstrom. You know, why were these missiles shut down or why were the missiles, missiles activated? I think there's a lesson in that uh, for us. And so for me, as I said before, um, it's not about like to use the analogy of the delivery truck delivering a package uh, at your front door. Um, it's one thing to be interested in the truck and the driver. That's fine, but they left a package. <laughs> and so is it like, oh, I want to know about the truck and I want to chase it right. down and talk to the driver? Or do we want to pick up the package? And some people just want to shake the package and like listen to it and <laughs> see if it ticks or whatever. But I'm more interested in opening the package to see what is the <laughs> gift inside. And for me, uh, experiencers, uh, others who are in that uh, more esoterica, are more interested in the message rather than the means of delivery. And so that's where I'm at with the phenomenon. Right. Yes. And people are really afraid to talk about that. You know, we have the two camps of UFO Twitter, UFO world in general, where there is the whole, and it's kind of insulting when people say it, we were just talking about it, the woo. And then we have the side that is nuts and bolts, which is kind of funny because, um, <laughs> sorry, um, a lot of people say that, but at our last book club, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, can't, I keep thinking about it. It was brought up that 
people don't report nuts and bolts on UFO. So what the heck are you talking about <laughs> with the nuts and bolts? They're not even, nobody said nuts and bolts. Like they've seen nuts and bolts. So it's pretty funny that, um, oh my gosh, why is it slipping me? Who brought it up? My brain, uh, Jay from Experiencer Group. Yes. So he brought it up to, um, to one of the guys in the book club and he's just like, it like blew his mind. He's like, wait, like I've been saying nuts and bolts this whole time. And you're right. Like UFOs are usually seamless. Like from yeah, right. Report yeah, it's just a, it's just a human way of looking at <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I know Jay and I were actually part of this uh, Exo Studies course with Dr. Okay. Sean Esbjorn Hargens. And oh, he's uh, amazing. So was, yes, he is. And there was a um, a week where we talked about nuts and bolts. That was actually the theme for a week, and it's mostly about um, the metallic craft and how there's a lot of interest in the metallic craft and where did right. that come from? Because, I mean, if you go back to Roswell, it's all about this craft crashed. Yeah. And uh, perhaps those nuts and bolts weren't tight enough <laughs> that caused it to crash. Right. To me, it's unusual. <laughs> you know, like if it's supposed to be this exotic advanced propulsion technology using anti gravity, why the hell did it crash? <laughs> you well, know, I mean, that's something yeah. that uh, like human built airplanes do. And I don't know if right. that's a clue into what Roswell really was about or not. Um, I leave that up to folks with NDAs that know about exactly right. what Roswell was about. Yeah, and there's a lot of speculation yeah, for sure. <laughs> a lot of speculation. And to preface that, I never had an NDA at CIA that dealt with anything to do with this at all. It just came up as part of my day job. And so those with NDAs, they know more about what happened, but they're not at liberty to discuss it. Oh, um, right. Fortunately for me, I refused the NDAs about anything to do with this when it was offered to me. Uh, I just did not want to go there because why do what I need to know in a classified sense what I already right. know personally, what I've experienced personally? So those of us who are experiencers, we almost already know what's behind the scenes. The things right. that the government can't talk about. And that yeah. is the experience part of it. That is part of everything. So if you just deal with like craft and bodies, you're just looking at a small sliver of that magnificent spectrum known as the phenomenon. Right. And I think Jim Simivan recently, when he appeared uh, on Coast to Coast, and I was the second guest, he talked about it to experiences. And wasn't that an amazing discussion he had with George Knapp, another CIA officer yes. saying, I'm going to talk about my experiences and here's what I can share. Um, yeah. So that's, I think that's where it should go, that conversation. Because once we add the experiences to what we see as craft or orbs or these unusual things in the sky, we get a fuller understanding of what really is going on. And perhaps a clue into why the government can't talk about it. Because can you imagine <laughs> any president getting up on the podium and say, oh, you know, they're <laughs> visiting us and um, people have experiences in government, <laughs> you know, and yeah. we have experiences about being taken aboard craft and all of that <laughs> that goes on with that. I mean, that's just uh, a bridge too far. Yes. Right and. And they even mentioned like the biological effects, right? And some of the language. So we know that people have been physically affected by this. So, and then we have Gary Nolan doing his research and he has a lot of information about that too. So we can't ignore it for much longer. 
And right now everybody is sticking with military because it's easier to document like you were in this job position, you needed this sort of vetting or clearance. So you're more um, for the world, you're more easy to believe or you're more credible. And then there's the rest of us that just uh, got our minds blown at the age of four or five. And we're just mm -hmm. like, we don't really need too much, but it would be nice for people that do need it that are experiencers to have that, um, you know, that, hey, like this, this did happen. You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. um, even though, you know, you're not crazy. You still feel crazy sometimes because we just you just said, you know, it's not really um, when we were talking before we came on, you were saying this isn't really like something you talk around the dinner table. And I was like, yeah, not at playground with other moms either. So yeah. it's like, right. it's like, people are like, so this crockpot recipe is great. This is a, this is a sheet pan recipe. And I'm like, Hey, how about them UFOs? And like right. the world's like an yeah. old movie where like the, the record goes, you know, and, right. yeah. and everybody looks at you. Yeah. So, um, a, yeah, you're, you brought up a good point, too. And you had basically said, you know, um, how can we we might not even be able to understand the what without the who. Right. So mm -hmm. um, we might. And this has been talked about by whistleblowers and people that supposedly worked kind of like with these craft that were re these crash retrieval materials. You're like, well, we have it. but We can't figure out what it does completely. Or, you know, um, you might need to be linked with a certain consciousness to understand how it works mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um and another thing that kind of blows my mind is people are expecting like these weird um like on like uh, elements that we've never seen but you know it could be the elements and you know in different isotopes or different ratios or mixtures is what people are starting to notice but that's kind of like to me it kind of bothers me but like oh well it was just a piece of aluminum in the end i'm like yeah but like did you do um you know did you measure the spectrum did you put it you know you know did you measure the isotope rates and all that stuff so a lot of people are doing that now and i know people have been doing it for a long time but people are just starting to talk about it finally but let's dive into the experiences because i think that a lot of people have asked you a lot of like you know technical questions mm -hmm. and i do think that um your slideshow that you did with Project Unity was super cool. Um, I've watched it a couple times, and you had mentioned that, and nothing I'm saying that nothing that you're saying is uh, classified. So yes. that's very interesting. And um, but then you're talking from an experiencer standpoint that kind of ended up in a position where you were able to observe more about the phenomenon, um, whether you intended that or not. Something intended it for you. Um, whether it be, you know, people talk about soul contracts or fate or destiny or divine planning. So you had your first experience when you were five, right? Well, yes, um, actually, uh, not an experience, but the first message I got was at okay. age four oh, wow. um, when I looked through my first telescope. And looking through the first telescope, uh, seeing the stars and the moons and maybe some of those stars were actually planets. Um, I felt an affinity toward what I was seeing that this was where I came from. And yeah. even at that young age, it was a feeling that uh, it belonged out there, not on Earth. And that perhaps uh, I got left behind on Earth. And so even though I had a, a earthly family, that my real family was out there. And that's that was at a very young age of age four. And isn't it amazing that uh, lifelong experiencers, they usually say it happened when I was very small. Yes. And that seems to be a common age. like. Four, and also the, what you five. mentioned, what you mentioned, sorry not to interrupt, but I want to say it before I forget it, what you mentioned about feeling 
like you're in the wrong place. Exactly. Or maybe you're not even supposed to be in a body at some point. <laughs> so, but yes, go on. So you, um, you had your first, uh, when you looked through this telescope. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, and so the subsequent experience to that was um, when um, I had, I guess it was a dream, but it was a recurring dream of being led into a house for a medical examination. Um, and th this could have been a what's known as a cover experience that for me to process it, it had to be like um, a woman who led me to this house and a doctor and a nurse who were very kind and wanted to examine me. And this was a recurring kind of, of dream where sometimes it was on the first floor, sometimes on the second floor. But in each time, um, they assured me that, that they meant no harm, that you're fine. We just want to examine you. And I remember the examination. It wasn't any kind of intrusive examination that I remember. Right. It was mostly, we just want to see how you're doing, you know. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, mostly it was like a traditional, like, cursory examination. Uh, you know, when you go to the doctor um, office, uh, there's usually someone, uh, perhaps a nurse, nurse practitioner, RN, would take your blood pressure, yeah. uh, listen to your heart. It was that type of experience. Nothing intrusive, nothing scary, and being dressed again and being let out of the house. Now, when I asked my mom about this, um, she said, no, there's never been any time where I took you to any kind of doctor like that, especially yeah. the house I described, which was like the kind of houses that um, I remember when I was very small. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll call them Victorian-style houses, you know, A-frame right. with a turret on one side. Yeah. But in the town. I, I love that, in, those houses, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. And so, you know, put it in context, um, you know, at that age, I was like, like uh, five or I guess I was six years old. And that's like 1959 for me. And so it's conceivable at 1959, there were houses built like at the turn of the century in the 1900s right. that had that style. And so yes. that was the style of house that I associated with. And we lived in an older house like that, which was back then not that old. Uh, you okay. subtract 50 years from uh, 2022, and you get a house in the 70s, <laughs> uh, right. basically. So it's not, like, really old. What um, part of the country was this, if you don't mind uh, me? This is uh, Petersburg, Virginia. Oh, okay, yeah. There's some gorgeous houses out there. 20 miles south of Richmond. You know, Arizona doesn't have a lot of houses like that. So No, nothing. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have. The heat out here, <laughs> those houses would right. have not stood for long. Um, and... Uh, before that, I should say before that, it was when I was living with my aunt and uncle when my mother was still in Japan. Uh, she was learning English and she was going to join us later. But I lived with my aunt and uncle and that's when I saw my first craft, I guess what I call it, that it was a silvery craft um, that wasn't saucer shaped, but it was more oblong and um, it's more like a, not exactly a football, but I would say like a like a rugby ball, if you know what that looks like. So it wasn't so pointy so much at the end and narrow. It's more right. like chubby in the middle. Okay. Yeah. It was wider and pointy at that end. Uh, but I saw it rise out of the, the tree line out in the distance. And I pointed to it with uh, um, with my fingers. I look, you know, to my playmates and my cousins. They didn't see it at all. They did not see it. I saw it and it drifted off and went away. Um, later, when I did some research as to what was there, 
Uh, there was a uh, Nike Hercules base. Those are the missiles that protected many cities oh, wow. in the United States during the Cold War. And some of them were nuclear capable. They had nuclear uh, uh, warheads uh, designed to shoot down um, Russian bombers at the time, which was the big threat. So there could be an association with the fact that, you know, there might have been nuclear weapons stored there and these nuclear tip missiles that attracted these uh, this particular craft down. Um, but then I had the the house experience and then um, going to a bookstore uh, at a five and dime, which back then, it, I guess we call them dollar stores now. Yeah. That inflation. <laughs> um, but the five and dime, um, I saw a book with uh, illustration of two primitive humans and the woman holding uh, a modern looking baby up in the sky and it's saucers beaming lights Ooh, I love it. Down there, down <laughs> toward these two uh, primitive human parents. And that, again, there was a message. The message was, um, this is who you are. This is where you came from. We made you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so, like, profound. I, it gives me shivers um, just to think about it. Yeah, um, me too. I, I kind of got, like, this weird, like, in my oh, face, yeah. like a flush in my face. Um, and I wanted this book. Uh, my parents, um, you know, they may hesitate to buy me toys. But if I wanted a book, no hesitation whatsoever. <laughs> That's how my grandma was. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but the book disappeared when my mom came around. It wasn't more than a few minutes. I got oh, my mom yeah. and said, "I want this book," and it's gone. And I left it in a place where I knew I could find it. Yeah. And there weren't that many people there rummaging through the books. You know, I mean, none that I can remember. But it was gone. And yeah. from there, I had more of the traditional what oh, I call traditional, but non-experiences were still considered unconventional but uh, for me it was like uh being underground and being led underground in some kind of cave setting by smaller beings i guess you can call them grays but they didn't have the large almond shaped eyes they had okay. round eyes and they were leading me down and i wanted to get away but they you know said don't worry we won't hurt you you know you need to come with us and leading me through this cave um this, the other experience I had um, growing up, and now I'm becoming a teenager, um, was having to plant, for some reason, I was obsessed with sunflowers. I said, I need to plant sunflower seeds. And I got, I got my parents to get me some sunflower seeds to plant. <laughs> and I planted them outside my bedroom door. And these sunflowers eventually, you know, seeds grew into flowers. Yeah. Um and the reason why is I felt like they need to find me. They may not be able to find me. You know, oh. they need to find me so I so can they, they can take me home. Um, and it's not that, you know, a lot of skeptics say, oh, that's because you had a terrible childhood and just, just a, a way for you to cover up your terrible right. childhood that you want to get away. It was nothing like that. I grew up in a very loving family. Oh. And so yeah. it was none of that family trauma going on whatsoever. Um, I just yeah. felt this need to have them come for me. And sure enough, one night they came for me. And I remember these arms grabbing me out of my bed, went somehow through the screen window and up into this craft where I was led by another being that was taller and uh, carried in uh, this being's arms and seeing the, 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 the walls of this craft turned coincident with the way we were walking in a circular fashion. So I know it was like more of like a saucer shape and being 
placed on an examining table. And I have no memory of the examination. But uh, the following morning, I had marks, markings on the lower part of my body in the groin area. So what that might have been, I don't know. Uh, there have been other experiencers who've said that uh, genetic material was taken from them. Right. Um, and so that could have happened. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just had that, I guess you would call it an artifact of that experience physically on my body. Um, but it went away. So it's not like it was a permanent thing. It was not not scarring or anything oh, that yeah. was damaging. Um, it just went away. That's and interesting it, that you say that. Because um, one after one of my sleep paralysis experience after I had my first uh, sighting and then seeing the being in my room, um, I had sleep paralysis from that point on. Um, with uh, angels or alien angels or demons in um, presences. Um, and I was Catholic, so that could have explained a lot. But um, uh, almost like hives, I would get these hives. And I, I grew up with eczema. I was an eczema baby. So there's like, oh, it's just eczema. Mm -hmm. But they were like, almost like you had like an allergic reaction. And with, would you know, people get hives all, all, but all over my body and they would just like throw me in an oatmeal bath and be like, oh, good luck, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but it was after these, um, these, it would be after a sleep paralysis that had grays in it or something. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that you mentioned that because it's something that I don't tell people because again, they'll be like, oh, well, it's just a rash. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Um, the, the physical manifestations seem to go from one extreme to the other. And some have traumatic experiences. And for me, it's like, um, I wouldn't say no big deal. I mean, it was profound for me to have the experiences I've had, but they were not as malevolent as what other people have experienced. They're, they're not exactly benevolent. It just happened. They, they weren't harmful to me in the long run, uh, in my experiences. Um, following um, that, experience um i've had a dream that um i was in a place of light beings there were light beings everywhere i was a light being and i really loved where i was at yeah. i felt like i was home uh, yeah. this is where i belong i finally made it this is where i'm, I'm supposed yes. to be but then a voice um over my shoulder i think it was my my left side uh said to me uh, it's time for you to go back because you have work to do. You haven't finished your work. And I said, I don't want to go back. So, no, you need to go back. But you get to pick who you are going to be this time. And I was I was shown like a vast plane of little, uh, I would call it like little eggs in a giant egg carton, <laughs> that, as far as that I can see. And it was like swirling lights in this, these little uh, little spheres. And, I, and who do you want to be? And I, I looked into each one and saw their lives from beginning to end, from birth to death. And I saw one that, that resonated with me and I said, this is who I want to be. And I said, okay, go. You have work to do. Do your work. Go. And <laughs> Ready, I, set, go. <laughs> ready, set, go. But I immediately um, remember being born. I remember That's the insane. birth experience. And so that... I didn't connect that for a long, long time as to what it might have meant. But the synchronicity there that sent chills up and down my spine. Um, and I would have mentioned it if we had more time with George Knapp, but 
someone called in Art Bell back in the day and related in uh, open lines when anybody can call, talk about anything. A yeah, I remember called, him. Yeah. yeah a woman called <laughs> My aunt his, used to listen to that late at night. So right. she was kind of like one of the only people that I would sneak into her room. And um, because I felt like she she believed me with my experiences mm -hmm. and um, she she didn't say yes or no, but she listened very lovingly. And then I remember sneaking into her room one night. She's like, okay, just don't tell, you know, you have right. to go back in a little bit to your bed. Yeah. And she was listening to it. And I, it was the people <laughs> that were calling in. So Right, exactly. Well, one of those call-ins was a woman who related the exact same experience. I said, Art, I want to share, share with you a dream I had. And she related the voice on one shoulder telling her she had work to do and she had to go back being shown this vast array of like life, possibilities of life, uh, and her picking her life current and being uh, being born. She had that exact memory. And my spine was tangling. I mean, I was just yeah. totally electric. And, you know, trying to call in, um, you know, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you're not going to get in. Yeah, I mean, it's so, so lucky if you get in, but I, I, I've always wanted to reach out to her because she had the similar experience. And so later I learned about twin flames and twin souls. Yes. But sometimes yes. you incarnate on earth with someone else who is your spiritual twin somewhere. And I felt like she must be my spiritual twin, my twin flame or twin yeah, soul. Yeah, that makes sense. Because um, people so misinterpret that. They think that they're supposed to be like, married to their twin flame or they're supposed to be best friends with their twin flame or even like give birth to your twin flame you know mm -hmm. like, people think they're supposed to be of close proximity but it's actually from what i'm like when i'm talking to people about it like not on here i haven't talked about it yet but when i'm talking to other friends in, in the world um they not a lot of people have their twin flame on earth at the same time as they are which is super crazy mm -hmm. to me so you think she was your twin flame? Have you and you haven't you haven't been able to find I've her? I've never been able to uh, locate her. I mean, how would I? It's just yeah, a voice, um, yeah. you know, using a first name. Right. Um, east of Iraqis, you know, yeah, <laughs> first yeah. time caller. Like, I don't know where she was calling. Even from. he probably couldn't locate him at that mm -hmm. time. Um, yeah. You know, it was like a telephone line. Like, <laughs> you know? yeah. So that that was a profound experience that got linked later when I oh, had, wow. uh, and your audience would know who Dolores Cannon oh, absolutely. was. And I had QHHT um, sessions. And I actually, in the QHHT session, with this like sort of like buried in my, my memory, um, I had the front part of that, of me dying. And then, um, seeing uh, I, it wasn't a tunnel of darkness it was more like i would say grayness it wasn't completely dark it was just gray and a feeling of movement i had mm -hmm. uh, at my death and seeing um two faint uh, light beings come around to the left and right to escort me home oh wow and then having been escorted home it was a world of this of these light beings and having um that same experience linking it all of a sudden oh my gosh you know that experience was the precursor to that dream i had as a teenager wow so that qhht session 
occurred as an adult. Yes, that's uh, a so that linked it together. That's very interesting that you and very cool that you were able to link that because you had mentioned in um and Nikki, I'm gonna get to your question in a minute, but um you had mentioned in one of your interviews, it was when you did the um the slideshow, you had mentioned that, you know, pieces of the puzzle, right? Like so many people with experiences from minor, I don't want to say minor experiences, but experiences like I saw something that freaked me out. I know it was sentient. It was in the sky and that, that maybe that's the end of their experience, but they only have that piece of the puzzle. And then there's people that are like um, lifelong experiencers that have all these weird like memories and thoughts and experiences that they know are real, but they can't like you, as you had said before, you can't, you know, the puzzle picture on the box, you can't see that, but you have all the corners, but you can't see the rest of the puzzle. So I feel like at least you got those two puzzle pieces to like click because that mm -hmm. was um, yes. when you hear it, when you hear it, when you had that dream, the first one, you're probably like, what in the world? Or that memory come back. You must have been like, okay, like I was being born, but there's a continuation. There was a before that. So there was many yeah. befores, many. Oh, many absolutely. Befores. Yeah. I tell people that they think I'm crazy. So I don't bring it up often, but uh, I don't have any qualms about bringing it up. I've had many uh, experiences like that through QHT, HHT sessions, through mindful meditation, um, I've had previous lifetimes and there were not all human lifetimes. Yeah. There were times when I was another species from another planet. Um, so to me, that's not unusual when people say that. And so, oh yeah, I've, I've had that as well. And it seems to be a common theme that, you know, really some is. people think, you know, if I'm male, I'm always going to have a male experience in these previous lifetimes, I've had experiences as female as well. Yeah, it's it's just that Absolutely. my my core belief is that this corporeal body, you know, as you know, as John Ramirez is a host to a sentient life being with whom we have a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. And when we die, the corporeal goes away. But this right. life being is eternal and goes back to its home and may return either back in this form as a human or some other place um, because I, you know, the, the part of the QHHT session was when I experienced these light beings, my uh, practitioner asked me, ask them what they're called. And I stumbled with that. I knew it started with an LY. Oh. This is LY <laughs> something Lycian, Lycurians, mm -hmm. and it was Lyrans. Okay. The Lyrans. Yeah. And so I resonate with Lyrans as, and some resonate with Pleiadians and some with Arcturans. Yes. Um, there's a whole panoply of these light beings, but at the core of it is they're non-corporeal and they want to experience life as a corporeal, corporeal, corporeal being. So okay. that's why they dwell in us and other beings as well. Um, they just want to experience what is life like? to have emotions, to feel love, to have a full gamut of being this person. Um, because they are energy, they're pure energy. They're just, they're, in, they're mm -hmm. manifestations of unconditional love. And that's what I get from that ex those, these experiences that they're unconditional love. And they're trying to teach us unconditional love for everyone, for everything in the universe. It's just, the energy of the universe is unconditional love. That's what drives everything. That's why 
the experience is so magnificent when you have these um, this relationship with your inner self. And when you start mindful meditation and going back to the chakras, you know, when you know how to um, send your energy down through your chakras to the core of the earth, and then to actually, I thank the earth for giving us this beautiful planet. And then I say, we're, I'm so sorry for what we've done to you. And I, I'm, I get very emotional about that. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, that we, we've harmed you, but we'll we'll do better, and bring it back, you know, to your body, to your heart, throat, third eye, crown, and send it out to the universe, because that's that's where we're from, and it's just welcome. Absolutely. You know, I just want to say hi. <laughs> just phoning yes. home. Just phoning home. Yep, and I don't want anything from you. Just hello. Yes. You know, maybe I want to right. see you again. Um, then, then bring it back. And that's yeah. when I go into a very deep meditative state where um, I don't have a better word for downloads, but I get inspirations. What yes. people call downloads. I get inspirations of messages. Um, and then it's an opportunity to ask questions. Absolutely. So I think it's more than just a passive experience. It can be active to ask questions to the universe. You can manifest things to the universe. I, mean, I think we're all like creators in some way that you do manifest your own destiny. You have free will, but in a way you kind of manifest what, what you want. And you can do what's known as cosmic orders. Like you order something <laughs> yeah. from a restaurant, you order yeah. something from the cosmos. Um, and, and that's how we got this house I'm living in. My, my wife did a similar thing about manifesting the house we wanted to buy. And she listed everything she wanted, did a mindful meditation with dancing and singing, because she likes to dance and sing <laughs> to the universe. And she did it um, on a Wednesday night. And Thursday morning, our realtor called and say, hey, there's the house on the market. Yeah, <laughs> It's not on the market yet, but you need to see it because it'll go quick. And everything on that list was in the house. Everything I, I believe it. I believe it. A so, lot of people yeah, are, are doing that, you know, the intention setting and mm -hmm. manifestation techniques like that. Not enough people are doing it because they don't believe it. But um, I believe it. That's how I got my wedding dress. Like the lady's like, oh, this just came in today. And I was like, are you kidding me? My friend oh, was like, yeah. she was like, she went, went with me to try it on. She's like, you just, you, she's like, you described this dress to me like the other day. And I was like, I know because that's what I wanted. And she's like, that's, this just came in yesterday. And it had like, she had to take it out of the bag. No. <laughs> You know, so little, sometimes we don't realize we're doing it either, which can right. work both ways, right? Yeah. And I, I just think the synchronicities are so beautiful when they happen. That we live in just this beautiful universe. And when you you're resonating with the universe and in sync with your wavelength, um, and that resonance is strong, um, wonderful things can happen. And part of that learning how to meditate mindfully is to find your resident frequency, find it, and then tune into it because we all have different resonant frequencies. And it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It's just different. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, and what I tell people is like, um, uh, this probably kind of dates me, but I don't know if people actually listen to the radio on the air, but if you look at all the FM radio stations broadcasting on the air, um, they're all there. 
And that's the full spectrum of the experience. But you choose your radio station. And just because you're listening to um, like classic rock or classical or country and Western, or whatever your favorite yeah. <laughs> music is, it doesn't mean that these other stations aren't there as well. They're there, right. but we're tuning in. And so the, by broadening the spectrum of accepting it all, making it more broadband, um, you get the full impact of all the what the universe offers. Yes. And then you might find affinity toward a certain part of that spectrum from which you can grow. And so I've been doing that uh, most of my adult life. And it's been very fulfilling for myself as well as my wife to do that. Yeah, you seem very uh, at peace and very, um, you seem the way you talk about your wife. And I thought it was, um, I thought it was awesome when I was asking you for an interview in February. You're like, any day but the 14th. And I was just like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I was like, that's not, that's so, um, not a lot of people like do that anymore. Do you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. and some people are cynical about, you know, the whole Valentine's Day thing, but I could, the way you talk about her, she sounds like a lovely, person and um i'm very glad that you guys have each other but it sounds like you've been manifesting what you wanted and you seem very at peace like you know when you talk to people and they're just very angsty feeling or you can tell mm -hmm. they're very um disheveled or whatever um you seem like very 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 like peaceful i don't know any other way to put it um so it's it's great that you know you're talking about this because not enough people ask you about this sort of thing um, I do have an audience question, and it's from my friend Nikki, who is also an experiencer. She's um, I've known her for a very long time, and she um, she found an implant. So mm -hmm. she's asking if you've ever been checked for implants, and I know that there's some weirdness with your medical records, right? Mm -hmm. So um, have you been knowledgeably checked for implants? Well, no, I haven't. Uh, but having said that, I do know I have an implant. And I know that from light workers that um, are friends of mine, uh, my own uh, light worker practitioners, they told me that I had an implant because they can hear it. So, oh my gosh, it's it's like I can hear it. And one light worker, uh, my implant didn't resonate with her quite well, and so she started getting headaches, like a physical manifestation of a headache, oh, along wow. with another gentleman who is very much an empath that got a headache from me. So I had to let um, my companion know. And so here's where it gets really strange. Um, there is someone, an entity that is with me all the time. They're on my right shoulder, a little bit behind me. It's I, I sense it as a, a female companion. I can, I can sense feminine energy from her. And she's more of a protector, not a controller. Um, when, yes. it, when I say this, people think, oh, your your mind is being controlled. No, 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 no. no, no because it's, people it's, have talked about guardian angels for how long? Right. Yes, it's exactly. Just, it's an energy stream or energy frequency, and you just aren't calling it an angel. And it's some divine feminine energy that is more protective and I had to let her know, please, I am not being threatened by these other people. You know, <laughs> please, you know, be more quiet. <laughs> and when I did that, it went away. 
it went away. They didn't have that headache. When I met them again, uh, they didn't have any headaches. And the yeah. light worker told me, oh, yeah, it's it's very definitely a, a feminine, um, divine feminine presence uh, with you. And it's been there um, ever since I can remember that it's, it's a very protective kind of nurturing entity. Yes. And a lot of people talk about that as like their guides or their angels or their guardian angels. You had talked about a cover experience earlier. And the more I'm learning from other experiencers and some of this terminology, I'm like my first experience after seeing those, I've had angelic experiences as far as I can remember. So I'm very, I'm not confused anymore, but there was a point even earlier last year where I was like, that was not an angel. It was a glowing human shape and it had I when they show up, they're just glowing and then it turns into this physicality. But maybe that's because I've seen angels and I want it to look mm -hmm. like an angel. So it makes sense. Uh, cover experience, you know, um, like you said. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But um, I have a good question from um, James from Engaging the Phenomenon. He's an amazing guy. I don't know if you've seen his channel. He's oh, yes. I, I just love I've, James. I've oh, you've been, okay. Okay. Yeah. James, I just yes. love James. So he said he has a question. Um, was John part of the Kit Green Nolan Experiencer study? Not formally, no. Um, when I asked CIA for my medical records, I was suggested that um, perhaps that would be an opportunity to make myself known to Kit Green since he was also CIA. And um, he has dealt with many of the paranormal aspects, the metaphysical aspects of what CIA does, uh, for example, remote viewing. And so that might be an opportunity when I do get my medical records to send it to him and I know how to contact him. Um, so that's a very good suggestion of you know, being part of that study. Uh, one thing I don't want to happen is I don't want my implant to be removed. Yes, yes. Um, uh, my friend says the same thing. She's like, it's there and I'm fine with it being there. Because, right. Right. You know. It's not a controller. It's, it doesn't control me. It I, For me, it's like it's reporting somewhere right. and it protects me. Um, that's my perception of it. Yes, that makes sense. Um, and like you had said before, they're checking in. And I often with with like even so I, I had said I had these horrible, scary experiences with Grays, traumatic, all this horrible stuff happened. Um, and it was just horrible because I was young at the time and little and I didn't understand it. And now that I'm looking back, it's almost like um, and I had one explain it to me um, telepathically in an experience. Um, basically, we're just doing our job like we're not trying to hurt you. You know, we're just mm -hmm. sampling, which brings up the whole you know, hybridization um, yes. thing. But before we get off on that, because that's going to be another, that's that's a, that's a something I do want to ask you tonight. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about physical symptoms. You said she could kind of sense, your friend could sense your implant um, after. And I think I actually, this is might've been why I messaged you um, initially um, before I even asked you to come on here, that after my first experience, I developed tinnitus um mm -hmm. the ringing was so bad at one point where i was i was young i, I was not past first grade and my first experiences was kindergarten because i remember the teacher i remember telling my you know my bestie in kindergarten and everybody laughed and told me i was lying and all this stuff but i remember there was this um like high-pitched ringing right. and it, it's 
always there mm-hmm. and it changes. It's not. And I did, I have had tinnitus experiences where it's the whooshing. Yes. Um, um, but this is almost like it changes. And when they're near and I know I'm going to have an experience and I don't know if this falls into high strangeness, but there's like this weird, like feeling in the air mm-hmm. and I get like the ringing gets louder and the um, pressure comes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if that, um, have you ever, have you had any physical experiences like that? Um, it's interesting you, you mentioned, um, this high pitch ringing or frequency. In, Sometimes it sounds like Morse code, like techno Morse code, mm-hmm. as way I can explain it. I have experienced something like that. And it sort of like starts at a very low amplitude and rises in volume and then stays for maybe a minute or two and then decreases the volume goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't correlated that to any other experience other than this physical manifestation of ringing. But this was this had occurred to me um, throughout my life. And even before I started going to live concerts. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, obviously, yeah, you leave like just, a rock concert in your teenage mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And you got this, the ringing. But this right. is like, this is too early for that. Like, exactly. Maybe it was taking me to a metal concert when I was five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Right. It wasn't like <laughs> we weren't even allowed to go outside because um, we had gang activity. So, like, mm. it's, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't outside listening to loud things. Uh, my, my grandparents pretty much raised me. So, it's not like, you know, that they were loud people. Like, my grandpa was a very quiet uh, stoner. So, <laughs> he's, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. hippie Woodstock guy. So, right. um, yeah, um, the rings, it, people want to write that off just like they want to write off the sleep paralysis and the dream experiences and, you know, things like eczema as hives when it's not eczema, you know, eczemas and patches, it's not going to be like, boom, like hives Mm -hmm. and really random just, you know, after an experience kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, So you, you had that before metal concerts and (laughs) you haven't been able to. Well, I didn't go to metal concerts. (laughs) uh, Believe it or not, I'm, more into the 80s goth industrial scene. Oh, like who? And I used to go to um, Susie and the Banshee, Susie and the oh, Banshees, The Cure, okay. Bauhaus, oh, I love the Cure. Uh, Joy Division. Um, okay, I love you even bands. more now because <laughs> I love that kind of music. Like I I was born in 1984, so it's not like I got to like hang out with my friends to that music, but I feel like I've always just loved it. Maybe because like my dad or mom would listen to it, you know, or whoever was around me. Mm-hmm. You, you got to love The Cure and you got to love Joy oh, Division. Yeah. I oh yeah, love yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I got to see these bands uh, in Washington D.C. We had a very vibrant music scene, um, and for example, uh, at the 9:30 Club, when it was actually at 9:30 F Street Northwest in D.C., go to the back bar, and there was none other than um, Mr. Foo Fighter himself, uh, right there, uh, sharing a beer with oh, him. Wow. And so I got to meet. Um, a lot of uh, people who at that time he was playing in a local hardcore band and then later, you know, uh, joined Nirvana and then later had Foo Fighters. So I got yeah. to meet him. He's a, he, I've, he's a great musician and um, it's very sad what happened to Kurt Cobain, but yeah. Dave Grohl is, um, he seems like a really cool, open, down to earth guy. So and, that's yeah, cool. and um, when when um, Nirvana first played at this club, it was basically a five dollar ticket. That's insane. <laughs> and yeah, yeah I had I would... VIP passes where I can invite myself and like one other person. 
And uh, I was single back then. So what I would do is get my VIP pass and say, oh, she looks interesting. <laughs> Hi, get out of line. I got a VIP coming. And we'll oh my walk God. right to the front. And uh, so I was a very popular guy back then. I just get like the, um, now Now this is really going to get off topic, but um, the scene in Wayne's World where they're like with their pass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but actually um, James is like all full of the good questions tonight. Um, this might be a good segue into the hybridization stuff that, uh -huh. um, and the collecting of genetic material stuff yeah. that, we, I kind of wanted to talk about you, talk to you with, oh my gosh, I can't think, talk to you about, <laughs> sorry, two and a three-year-old, um, two and a four-year-old, at the end of the night, sometimes my brain just stops. So the question is, the hotel meeting discussion, discussing mm -hmm. hybridization, was anyone from NIDS present or on the sign in the list, like John Alexander, Kit Green, Hal Putoff, Jacques Vallée, Colm Kelleher, and Robert Bigelow, Ron, you know, he's got, and Ron Pandolf. Mm -hmm. No, none Pandolf of, none of them. Um, it was sponsored, um, by a science office and the person who gave the briefing had access to CIA's historical classified historical records. And so this person went back and discovered uh, this information of CIA's involvement into UFOs and briefed us but there were none of the, what you would consider principles that you know of in ufology present at the time. Uh, but who was there um, were these academic types, these people with .edu addresses. I did not recognize any of them. And I know Ron Pandolfi, I met him before, I know who he is. Um, and the other folks um, um, I, I've never met personally, but Ron, I have met. Um, they were not there, and but the two officers I did recognize was an officer who was senior to me from my parent office, uh, which was weapons intelligence, nonproliferation, and arms control, that office. Um, and that office, coincidentally, uh, the predecessor offices in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, 90s, they were involved with UFO research at CIA. So this was a very senior officer there and also a, a scientist that was there that I was working with, um, mostly in visualization, scientific visualization. So we were doing like 3D visualization, you wow. wearing data gloves and goggles That's in the cool. 90s uh, when no one else was doing it. And I had, a, very cool. <laughs> I had a, a room uh, bathed in electromagnetic energy, mag magnetic energy. So when you walk in with this stuff on, it knows your presence and the computer software would like then interact with data so that you can That's touch insane. data, move it around. And kind of uh, like in the, you know, the futuristic movies where you see the people doing the air computer. Kind of, right. You know, um, yeah. We were doing that uh, like 25 years ago. They know so much more about us than most of us know about us and how our energetic fields work. I mean, like we might know, like I know from like a, like energy work standpoint and from studying chakras and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they know, like they know um, how to do this with technology and the, the general public doesn't get any advantages of this or any knowledge about it. We mm -hmm. just kind of, the majority of the general public just thinks that, you know, we're just these consumers, which we are, Mm -hmm. But if they knew about their energetic qualities and their abilities to interact with these sorts of technologies, 
then I feel like people would be less shallow and they'd be less about reality TV and more about having an experience and feeling their energetic body and interacting with energetic things around them. It's kind of like um, they're holding it back from us. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> to develop that technology, you have to know a lot about the, the human um, electromagnetic field mm -hmm. for you to interact with something like that. So um, why are they keeping that, do you think? Why, why do you think that it's still not out? You know, the closest we have now is a virtual reality or Elon Musk talking about the, you know, the chip in your brain and all that. Yeah. And I think uh, the CIA knows a lot more than it lets on. In fact, um, the study of um, of the human mind is part of CIA's research. Uh, by extension, the Office of Director of National Intelligence at the DNI level, um, there is an office that is the equivalent of DARPA, which we all heard of. It's the intelligence. Yes. The I, instead of defense, stands for intelligence. And they've done a lot of work with the brain and the mind and consciousness. And so uh, people don't realize that, you know, in the intelligence world, especially CIA, it's not just about what are the Russians up to. It's about why, who are we and why are we here? I mean, we study paranormal, we study mm -hmm. the metaphysical, and that's a lot of what Kit Green did. And in fact, um, it was James, uh, Jim Simivan who said, you know, that he worked in the office dealing with the paranormal, <laughs> the paranormal office, which was the life sciences division I keep telling people about. Yes, you've been um, talking about that for and so that I mean that is not classified. That is out in open source. If you know where to look, you you know, life sciences division. I knew that division existed and just do a Google search for it, it came up. And uh wow. any any Jack any Jacobson wrote um a book called The Phenomenon, and in it she referenced Kit Green by name with Life Sciences Division by name, and the fact that they did work with these types of esoteric phenomena. So that's not unusual. And so Jim Simivan kind of hinted at that as well. And I hinted at that, that, you know, it's not just like Russian missiles. No, um, no. You know, so and people laugh at the skinwalkers at the Pentagon book, but it might just sound so fantastical to, I don't want to say like the average mind, but it's people that think in there are in a box. They're like, this is how the world works. This is how science works. This is mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts. This is what the nuts and bolts are made of. And they know everything, right? So when they read something like, they hear something like what you just said and read something like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, they're obviously going to think like, this is too out there. It's too weird. It's too whatever else they say, you know? Um, and it's limiting the whole planet when people right. think like that. And that's why CIA exists. I mean, Jim Simvan himself said that we cover everything in the world. We cover everything, and that's true. I mean, you name any issue in the world, whether it's uh, natural resources, climate change, clean water, uh, migration patterns of humans, um, that's so social interactions yeah. between humans, what causes conflict. That is, that is in the purview of CIA to understand why does one group of people, why, uh, why do people fight each other? They see, they know more about us than some of us know about ourselves. And mm. it's just, um, they're not telling anybody about it. Mm. And it um, goes to the policymakers. I mean, yeah, CIA doesn't do this on its own. Um, we're no, they're tasked they're by yeah. policymakers. We want to know the answers. And so we task the answers out, you know, to our assets uh, through technical means, uh, through human means, all these 
ways that CIA interfaces with the world, and we get the answers and provide it to the policymakers. It's up to them to decide what they're going to do with that information. Right. We don't tell them. Yeah. So I tell and people. Some people. You, go ahead. I say some people say like just tell us, but then some people will throw back to like, well, we can't even handle, you know, the knowledge of a pandemic without acting right. ridiculous. So it's it's every and I feel like both sides are right. You know, there's a there's some of us that be relieved to know that mm -hmm. so much of that is being studied because a lot of us are experiencing um, not just UFO phenomenon, but other phenomenon like, you know, poltergeist activities, spirits, mm -hmm. other beings that aren't, you they don't seem like they're from outer space, you know, mm -hmm. or even from another dimension. So um, it's just, I mean, it's good they're studying it, but it's not yeah. helping anybody when the, when the policymakers keep it you know, right. and they're not about, and I understand that a lot of it could be um, like national security. I get that, you know, um, my yeah. husband's military. I want to say, I want everybody to stay out of wars and stay safe and I get it. But um, it's just when they're, when they know something about the human, um, such as like our migration patterns, where did we come from? Are we hybrids, um, you know, from these other beings, which is, she says, um, Walker down in the chat says, do human, do you think humans are like a science project for a creator species or do they want to evolve us into them? Well, what I believe, this is personal like belief. Um, what I believe is that the creation stories in these ancient texts, whether it be Genesis or the Sumerian creation story, um, what it involves is a divine being or divine beings or uh, higher intelligences um, having some intervention in the way we evolved. And so for whatever reason, whether if you believe in the Sumerian story, it's because they needed workers. And so they found these primitive beings on earth and said, well, let's, let's impart some of our DNA into them so that we can function with them and talk to them and, you know, they can do work for us. Let's elevate their their uh, intelligence so they can do work for us. And perhaps, you know, there, there were another faction of these other beings that wanted us to be become more elevated. You're not just workers. What you have in you um, is our intelligence and what you are a divine being just like we are. And you don't want to be worshipped like this other faction of ours. We want you to ex accelerate and realize your full potential. Maybe that caused the conflict way back when. And so that explains a lot of these ancient uh, stories, these stories of wars amongst the gods. Um, the, the battle between God and Satan, for example, could be an allegory of that occurring. Uh, so I don't, I don't believe that, um, uh, that uh, we necessarily um, are like beholden to them. I think they gave us the means to realize our own destiny. Our, we have free will. And the fact that we don't need to be subservient um, to break away from that. Subservience. Right. Um, and that, I think that's a key feature that, uh, that occurred. But it got kind of muddied. You know that story. I think there were there were, the ancient peoples were more knowledgeable about their origin than we are today. 
because what we know today has been filtered by uh, Western religion or religion in general, trying to frame uh, the true story uh, amongst uh, these uh, other stories that they imposed on us. And so, you know, Genesis, they say, you know, it's not that old. It's a retelling and a retelling and a retelling and a retelling of an older story. And if you go back to the Sumerian text, yes. that might have been a retelling of a more ancient story. Yeah, so and a lot of people don't think that. have a lot of that. And unfortunately, the library in Alexandria, Egypt, so what I hear, it was the repository of the world's knowledge. Yes. was burnt to the ground, and we lost a lot of knowledge from that, but it was preserved in the mystery schools uh, that they taught to their followers more of the real story. Maybe the Essene movement was part yeah. of that, where they taught the real knowledge of, yeah. of our potential. Um, so that's a long-winded answer, but... Um, I don't think it is. I think that you condensed all of that nicely, honestly. When people actually research this um, ancient civilizations and what they actually knew, there's things that were written about in ancient Sumeria that, you know, um, how would they know that? And then we have, if you take just the Sumerian creation story, it kind of is told that way in different parts of the world, too. Mm -hmm. So why people think that two things are happening. Like, you know, we may have forgotten about, you know, some of the, the stuff we knew how to do, like some of the spirituality stuff, like what we are, who we are. Mm -hmm. It's been polluted by, you know, technologies with blessings. Here I am talking to you and seeing all these people and interacting, interacting with all these like-minded people. But, and, you know, we're able to get information super fast and everything's so fast. But at the other end of it, how much of, technology is hindering us everything from chemicals that are you know we can't get rid of that are in our drinking water mm -hmm. to um different weird frequencies that maybe the human we're so sensitive to like um almost like a fluorescent lights you know what mm -hmm. i mean so i just feel like we knew so much because we trusted you know um ourselves as divine beings and having a connection to these creators and then the whole other like you said like, you know, the I don't even know how to put it because people are like, well, don't say negative. Don't say bad. I say naughty because it's kind of like funny um, that, you know, the naughty beings came and wanted to take control. And that's unfortunately sometimes the loudest, strongest message gets through, even if it's not mm -hmm. the right one. And, you know, so the control, the um, the the separation between the human and its source which isn't real. There's no separation. There's no middleman, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just strange that we're, people are starting to, you know, people say it all the time. They're starting to wake up. We're starting to wake up. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's interesting to look back. And like you said, the, uh, James says the seven is seen mirrors, you know, it's knowledge. It's knowledge mm -hmm. that people think is just a story. Mm -hmm. My goodness, like years and years from now, if we don't get our heads out of our rears, we're going to think <laughs> Kim Kardashian's story is going to be legend and lore. And they're oh, like, no. there was this one <laughs> goddess that ruled the planet, you know? And her name was Priscilla. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you make a great point, Priscilla. Um, gosh, it's uh, we forgot more than we remember. And uh, I'm kind of hoping that their appearance now 
is at a precipice when we finally can destroy ourselves with that technology that we have discovered the secret of the atom which was theorized by the Greeks before they even right. knew there was such a thing as atoms. I wish they, I could be a fly on the wall in ancient Greece, just listening to those guys talk, you know, all the mm -hmm. um, yeah. philosophers and, and scientists. How do they know? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And so what do we do with this technology? We weaponized it and created and a destructive force. And we still have that destructive force everywhere. And so the potential, especially now with the tensions in the world, but oh, not to get political, but gosh, darn. We're um, in a political world, ooh, trust me, you know. Yeah, um, sending troops um, to oh, Europe uh, yeah. to stage them in case uh, as a counter to Russian troops on the Ukraine border. I mean, the, I've seen that happen so many times as a run up to conflict by the oh. United States where we didn't intend that conflict, but because of what we did, it led to it. So it's just big, huge game of risk that they're playing with dice. But um, the policymakers should realize when they play this game of risk um, that we are affected by that. That the decisions they make, uh, they should realize that you know they should have uh, the world's um, the world's uh, uh, benefit at in their mind that what they're doing could have an unintended impact. That's what they don't worries think me. that far, though. People don't well, think that far. Well, sometimes. it's amazing because uh, CIA reporting um, actually pr provides policymakers with many policy decisions they can take. They're called policy levers. And every time they pull a lever, um, we, we tell them, you know, based on best analysis of all the information we have, these are the intended consequences and unintended consequences of doing that. Yeah. So can you live with the unintended consequences? <laughs> Decision A, B, C, and D. So we don't tell them which one to pull. Uh, we leave that up to the policymakers. Uh, and I tell people, if you don't like what CIA is doing, and there's always this, this story, backstory about how evil we are and what no. we did to the world and all of that. A lot of that happened. It goes back say, to like doing your job almost. Well, what I tell them is that if you didn't like what CIA did or you don't like what CIA is doing now, Who's in charge? Who's sitting in the White House? Uh, we work for the President of the United States, whoever he or she might be. Mm. The President of the United States is our customer. And we provide the President with the best intelligence that we can provide at the time. And the billions of dollars, we spent upwards of $90 billion to provide this intelligence with everything that we do in the intelligence community. And so here are the decisions that you can make, you know, right. make good use of what we invested in. And so if you don't like what we're doing, look at who's sitting in the Oval Office. And oh, maybe absolutely. that's the reason. And a lot of people do think that, you know, I think more people are are super quick to blame whoever's in office. Um, but in our community, there's so much, um, you know, people don't trust the CIA. And I try to look at it, you know like outside of myself sometimes and just say like, like everybody is doing what they're told to do. And when you're in the military or when you're in the CIA, um, you just, you're trained to do your job. And even if it's going to upset people or like your job is just to not say anything, 
even if you know, like it's a technology, you learned something that could benefit the world. First of all, who would listen? Because the people that are talking to the CIA, like look at the scrutiny you've had. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so say some CIA comes out, CIA guy comes out, says there's free energy and this is how it works. People are still not going to believe it. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough thing to, I can't, you can't blame any one agency. I don't think, you know what I mean? Because everybody's kind of hoarding their information to begin with. It's a collective thing that needs to happen. The sharing of information. And mm-hmm. you even mentioned this in your slides with like the whole 9-11 situation, like that could have been, you know, the sharing of information has only hurt, the not the lack of sharing information has only hurt us as a country and as a world. But you're right. We use some of this knowledge to hurt others. And and I just I can't I can remember learning about how we were just throwing nukes up in space and throwing them in the water, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that's the water. It's the ocean. Like, I remember thinking, like, how can you do that? It's the ocean. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just yeah. setting nukes off in the ocean. Like, we know energy cannot be created. It just goes somewhere else. So why are we doing this, especially with radioactive energy? Like, that, that we don't even know the effects of some of it. So, um, of course, James has another great question. And I mean that in a good way, James. That it wasn't like, oh, my God, James. You know? <laughs> I mean it in a good way. Um, has John ever been initiated into any of the mystery schools? Or did he do work with Merkaba or Flower of Life work? No, I have not uh, been initiated in any of the mystery schools. What I know about the uh, Merkaba or Merkaba uh, was from um, my light workers and okay. working with them. And so um, I... I've always wanted to meet uh, Dravala. Uh, Me Mekizedek. too. Yeah. I, I do. I, 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 he used to live in Sedona, Arizona. I don't know if he's still there. Oh my gosh, I would but love to I, talk to him. Oh my gosh, because I put that in a slide. He wrote. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, "Living in the Heart." Was it "Living in the Heart"? I forget the title. Uh, shame on me. It was in my slide. You just uh, need to make a reading list for yeah for all of us weirdos. <laughs> and uh, you know, he he wrote about the, this Air Force major telling him that the Air Force satellites can see the Macapi field being generated by humans. And they were uh, worried about it, but then they realized it was just part of this greater consciousness, higher consciousness taking over the earth. And that to me is a profound statement from an Air Force officer. Right. And I, I wish I could talk to him more about it, who, how did he meet the Air Force officer or how did the Air Force officer contacted him and what scenario that uh, he had this conversation. Uh, but things like that are hard to prove. And, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, it's like and nobody wants to listen without the proof. You have to yeah, you have to have yeah. an experience. And yeah. even when you have the experience, it's like, what is wrong with me? What just happened? Like you automatically start doubting yourself when you experience something um, extreme or different or paranormal. Um, so, yeah, I feel like people are just I think the people limit themselves, you know, um, when they only think one way. But. Um, I'm willing to listen to people's proof and I'm willing to listen to people's, you know, you know spirituality or occult studies, anything really. I just, I, I find it all interesting um, that we have all these like energetic things happening. Um, but that brings me to a question, uh, the orbs. And don't worry, everybody, I'm going to take the last couple of minutes for questions because I see Eve has another question, um, but it's going to take us in another direction. So I'm going to ask this first and then I'll get to your question. Um, the orbs, you've mentioned Mm -hmm. the orbs and I've wondered about them because so many people have experienced orbs and some people 
claim to have like interacted with the orb and then being shown who's inside of it or what's inside of it. I think it's a who, but you know, um, that's up to whatever people, I don't know if they identify as a who or maybe they're above the whole, I identify as this and that, but, uh, yeah. So what, what is up with the orbs? What do you think is happening? Why do people see that? I feel like people see that more than, um, you know, like the metallic ships or even like Tic Tac cigar, like people see these orbs during the daytime. Sometimes people are filming, um, like I remember one day I, w- I did a meditation to initiate contact and I was, I had my little iPhone up to the sky and I was looking or my iPad up and I was, I could see something moving around, but I couldn't see it with my eyes, but I could see it in the screen and sometimes it's vice versa. So what, what are the, what do you think the orbs are doing? What are they here for? Or what is their purpose? Or have you had any experience with them? Yes, I have personal experiences with them. Uh, let me start with the professional experience. Um, we detected orbs, um, and I can say this now, we detected orbs from space, uh, from some of our NRO platforms. We had sensors that can look into the infrared region. And these sensors originally rode on another type of satellite that didn't collect this type of infrared. But when we built a satellite, um, real briefly, I won't get too much into the details, but when we build a satellite, uh, we build it for a certain purpose and it might be uh, more space on that satellite to put other capabilities. And as long as we can provide power and space for that other capability, that payload might be inserted into the satellite, which is doing something else as a primary mission. And this could be a secondary mission. So one of those satellites actually detected uh, this light energy. And so when you see this light energy, um, it, you know the first thing that comes to mind is that, okay, something is broke. Because what right. is this? Um, and so that's what's launched uh, an investigation into it. And when we actually built um, a satellite with where the primary mission was um, infrared, electro-optical infrared. And I can now say this because the 60th anniversary uh, NRO brochure said, yes, we have a KH-11, Keenan, and yes, it's an electro-optical satellite that we fly, NRO flies. Okay, so that type yeah. of platform um is more of a scientific collector it it can actually measure energies radiance and other capabilities more technically about the orb so they're they're basically energy they're just energy Um, as far as seeing anything into them um i don't remember that anyone said oh my gosh there's something inside these orbs right it's just balls of energy spheres of energy that tend to like form and form uh form together like in a formation Yes. Uh, going to someplace with intent. So you would think they're intelligently controlled. Right. So that's from the technical side. Now, from the personal experience side, people have seen things in these orbs when they come close to them. Uh, my understanding is that um, I think Chris Bledsoe, maybe uh, his son Ryan, they saw one of their pet dogs who was deceased oh. in the orb. Yeah. Now, does that mean that the orb is a manifestation of the dog's spirit? Or is it because the orb wants to communicate with you? Right. It knows, uh, it knows what you're thinking about or right. what's on your mind, and it reflects back. Yeah, like I'm a friend. Your dog was a friend. I'm a friend. <laughs> you yeah, know, like in something our, like that. <laughs> it's a way of communicating. Um, and so that's my personal belief. I've not seen an orb close up. Right. And prior to going to Sedona, Arizona with Melinda Leslie and her UFO sighting tour, 
I've only seen like two orbs in my right. life, other than the one I uh, was presented to me professionally. Um, so there's two personal orbs in my life. And in uh, the first case, it was uh, from an airplane where the pilot reported to the ground that there's this orange sphere mm. coming across in front of his flight path, going from his uh, left side to the right side. I was sitting on the right side of the plane. I was monitoring um, Channel One, United Airlines. They used to, before 9-11, allow you to hear the communications between the cockpit and the ground aircraft oh, control. So I opened up my screen. I think maybe it was already open. And there it was, an orange orb. And it kept, it kept pace with us. It didn't just zoom away. It kept pace with us. And then it slowly receded away. And it wasn't like it was shiny or right. it wasn't like it was like a flame or anything. It was just like someone went to Michael's and got orange construction paper, very, very bright, and <laughs> cut out a circle. You know, it was just there. It wasn't like flashing. So I know it's not right. an afterburner of a jet aircraft or anything like that. Um, and so happened, the synchronicity with this, I was sitting next to uh, my colleague, a CIA officer. We pay for our own ticket <laughs> on the plane, our own uh, hotel rooms and conference fees to go to a UFO conference in Irvine, California. So I was going to a <laughs> UFO conference and here I see this like orb. Yeah. Um, and so that was the synchronicity. And I didn't get any message uh, from it, you know, other than, wow, that's that's one of those things. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Um, and he was asleep. <laughs> so oh, I didn't man, have a witness that... there, but I had the pilot. Um, and the second orb I saw was at a distance uh, over the Santa Catalina Mountains here in Tucson, where we did this um, CE6 uh, meditation with Mark Sims. He uses oh. radios to send uh, a signal out. Yeah. And then... Um, he uh, tones H-U, who, or hue. And a few minutes later, looking up, both my wife and I saw this. I saw it straight ahead, and she saw it to her right side. So she saw something, but she should have seen it to her left, because she's seated oh. on my right. And so if she was looking at it, she would have seen it That's so from strange. her left. But she didn't see that, and I saw it. And that's when I got the message. Uh, and on July 14th, 2020, which was my birthday, um, <laughs> that uh, I have information to share and it's time for you to share it. And you oh, need wow. to help someone. There's someone out there who is searching for your help. And uh, so here I am sharing my experiences with you, um, with everyone who tunes in to uh, my interviews. Um, and I have met the person that I was supposed to work with. Oh, wow. And I'm working with with him now just, wow. just sharing experiences and that's that's what i love doing more than like talking about craft and bodies yeah and I, there's I people like, working on that there's people working on that there's yeah. you know we've got an office now like people are going to work on that yeah. you know we got yeah, telescopes but, crazy telescopes going right. out like, but no we, one's working we, on we need the, to take care of the human we need to take care of exactly you know, or fellow humans. Yeah. And I think people like us, like we could go that route, especially you, like, I'm sure you know so much that, you know, you're not, you can't even talk about. So, but at the same time, like, is all the knowledge in the world going to help if you're just collecting materials without understanding it or understanding the why behind it, there's people doing that. So I'm glad that you're comfortable with, um, 
just putting your message out there and then being there for other people as well. And I'm glad that you found that person. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. I mean, um, there would be a time when I would love to stop talking about what we're talking about and just helping people and um, helping them find resources. Because I know some people have some disturbing aspects to yeah. the phenomenon and yeah. they are seeking answers. And I'm not a therapist, uh, but I can direct them to resources. Right. Um, and so I, I like doing that type of work more so than just, you know, I, I don't care how they fly or who's driving them as much. Um, I do care why they're here and what the message is to us. And it seems more like the need to be better custodi custodians of this planet because it is highly fragile and we can destroy it in a heartbeat by making the wrong human decision, oh, yeah. you know? And so to me, that's more important than the nuts. Uh, I, well, I'll use the word nuts and bolts, <laughs> you know, they don't have nuts <laughs> and bolts um, of the appearance to us. So uh, just about everyone who's seen an orb, um, th their lives are transformed in some way and mostly positive that when people see orbs, you know, they all of a sudden become interested in this entire phenomenon <laughs> and try to seek meaning, personal meaning for their own lives. But they're in a situation, family, friends, or work, where they can't share it. It it really tears yeah. at them, and so I I I would like to. I think what um, uh, Stuart and Jay are doing with uh, the experiences group is valuable. There need yeah. to be more experiences groups out there who are welcoming and not judgmental, but sharing what our experiences mm -hmm. are like, whether they may be good or bad. Um, people need to talk about this. Absolutely. And yeah, like you said, let let the scientists and physicists do their thing. Yeah. But and for people, us, you know, yeah, we need to talk. Absolutely. And, and sometimes that's all people need is to just talk about it. You know, um, just hearing what you said right now, I was like, oh crap, I'm gonna start crying because it's it's real. Like, um, I try to explain to people like when I saw those orbs when I was young. Um, they were sentient. They were giving me a vibe, and from that point on, I was a weirdo. And I researched every religion since once I started being able to read um, I every book I could find anything, anybody I could ask, you know, every all of it. And um, already having, you know, a paranormal activity in the house because my grandma being a medium was like I was already open to that world. And I was very aware of angels and demons and spirits. But this was something else. It was that um, it was a. Like it opened my mind in a different way. Like, how can you ever see anything as mundane as some people see it um, ever again? So it does change people's lives. Um, so we're coming up on the hour and a half. Do you have time for a couple of questions? Sure, absolutely. I'm here okay. whenever. Awesome, however. awesome. So this is from Eve Clancy. She says, has John heard what Ross Coltart has said about what high U.S. officials have told him about ETs being from the future, and does he have an opinion about that? Uh, I have heard that story. In fact, um, not officially, but just through my own research and trying to put the answer together for myself, that they could be um, manifestations of either us from the future or. Um, an intelligence who are who's able to uh, tra tra transverse the temporal plane, and when you you just can't go through time without affecting space. 
Right. And when you affect time and space, the, the way you bend time and space is not anti-gravity, but lots of gravity. When you have like a highly dense singularity of gravity, of mass, you know, you, all of a sudden space and time gets bent. And so some aspects of people encountering these craft um, involves like a time displacement. Yes. They, they're missing time. And it could be a, uh, and I'm not a physicist by any means. I'm, I'm a political scientist, <laughs> but uh, it could be a manifestation of some type of propulsion system that does the bending of time and space uh, mm -hmm. to be here. And so um, I've not heard from any U.S. government official about the time aspect. But I'm, if they are studying that, that just tells you something that nothing nothing is being eliminated off the table they are looking at every possibility to explain the phenomenon so to the government nothing is outrageously you no know, impossible it's their job to look at the impossible to see if there's any possibilities in that um, yeah. so no i haven't i haven't personally heard that and uh, i'm so I'm the worst read person in ufology. <laughs> I, I have not read Ross's book. I need to do that. I'm working on another book now by um, Jason Reza uh, Giorgiani. He wrote a book called Closer Encounters. Oh, and he was trying to put together uh, the entire story. And I believe he uh, was interviewed by Nikiana Jones uh, okay. several times to try and explain what he believed was happening. And all of these possibilities are valid to me because no one has the real answer. Absolutely. And Jim Simivan himself said, hey, you know, we don't have the real answer. We got a lot of answers and some of them are classified. But <laughs> you know, the full the full breadth of the phenomenon includes the uh, disturbing aspects like at Skinwalker, the right. astral celestial aspects of Pleiadians and Octurns and Lyrans. And then there's like the Nordics who are like us. Mm. Yeah, and, and other corporeal beings like uh, like Anjali uh, uh, has encounters with uh, the the mantis. I've had yeah. encounters with more of the what I call saurian or reptilian type mm. beings. So there's there's a full gamut of the experience. Yeah, that needs to be looked at. Yeah, and I only made that face because the mantid thing always like weirds me out. Um, because I've seen a hologram. My the first like awake sighting of a being that I had was of this mantid looking head. I didn't mm -hmm. notice the body cause I was just like zeroed in on the face. Mm -hmm. um, but it almost looked like a hologram. So I'm like, mm -hmm. did it send me one of its holograms or did it not mm -hmm. want to come visit in person? Like, <laughs> is that what it is? is? Does it look like that? Is it a, like a, some sort of weird light being that looks like a hologram to me? And then it, you know, is physical to some people and not to others. So uh, I just don't understand the whole mantis, uh, um, thing you know um but a lot of people see them and mm -hmm. uh, this is an interesting question um when you guys meet people can you tell if they are experiencers without being told they are experiencers i definitely notice like like when i meet somebody that's an experiencer um i automatically get along with them but because of the open-mindedness that experiencers have but I'm not going to be like, oh, wow, you like to study ancient religions, too. Have you ever been abducted? Like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, so I don't yeah. know. I know that they've had experiences with other beings. And to me, um, when 
when, I, when people start talking about spirit guides and um, light beings and all that stuff, I'm like, you've probably been abducted. Like in my head, you know, like you've probably. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> so, um, but what about you? Do you kind of get like a little ping when you meet another experiencer? I get um, what I call, um, I feel like an aura of energy around me, not with experiences, but with light workers. Yeah. So if I know someone is a light worker, I know it because I have this feeling of this aura around me and an aura around them. And I feel an instant affinity yes, to yes. that person. That um, but sense. I've not had that with experiences per se. Okay. But and I, the, I feel that, yeah. Yeah, but in the communities where I meet experiencers, um, for example, um, I was a member of Cosmic Empowerment, a meetup in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I was a member of that. And there were experiencers there. I just knew there were experiencers. I mean, you don't go to something like cosmic empowerment and talk about this phenomenon without, you know, bringing something of that experience with you. And so I knew there were experiencers there. But what I felt were the two light workers that were there. I knew exactly who they were. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I mentioned that they were light workers and they were surprised. And so, that makes sense. Because people yeah. ask me if I can see auras. I'm like, I get like, um, like I know what color their aura is, or I know what their aura is saying, or what it and what it's. I, I it's like uh, I know what it's. I I can't. I don't. It's not saying anything, obviously, but I just know mm -hmm. what it means. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll get like a a color will pop into my head, but I don't see them like visually. But with other healers and light workers, mm -hmm. I see like a white thing around them. And like you said, an instant affinity for them. Mm -hmm. Like you meet somebody else that, you know, they're a healer, whether they're an experiencer or not, they've experienced something, they're a healer. And you're mm -hmm. like, I just love this person. Like, I don't even know why, but I just automatically have this like respect and love for this person. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Walker, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> sorry. I was, I started reading another one and trying to talk. So, um, Another question from Rachel says, and welcome back, Rachel. Thank you so much for, you know, coming again. A question for John. What are John's thoughts about the Bledsoe encounters? More specifically, is he familiar with the lady and the healing techniques using frequencies? So I am, I am familiar with the encounters with the lady. Uh, my wife had an encounter. She was not the white lady, but a lady in blue, the blue lady. And a co-worker of mine at CIA had several encounters with a white lady. His name is Michael. He let me use his name. He's retired now. And he's an experiencer. And he experienced uh, the white lady, much like the Bledsoe's experience, the white lady. And yeah. there was a message conveyed to him. Um, and the message was, um, uh, it wasn't like a cataclysm, but something profound might be occurring. And he had the date 2026. Uh, wow. that something profound might be occurring in 2026. So it will cause a shift um, in our uh, in our world. I, I, it's not like a physical, you know, magnetic pole shift, yeah. but a shift in consciousness, a higher, it's an upgrade for all of us to go to higher consciousness and that some folks may be left behind, but not separated. It's not like the rapture um, yeah. in Christian theology. It's that, like we'll be on this world and all of a sudden we realize uh, that, hey, this is the world I've always wanted. It's so lovely here. It's it's full of peace now, full of love. Yes. All these conflicts have been like, 
uh, have passed away and the other world will still be in what we're experiencing now, turf, tur turmoil and conflict um, like that. And that that they wouldn't know that they shifted and, and we would feel like it was just a natural progression. Yeah. Um, that's the message he got. Um, that makes that sense. Too. There's a path there uh, going both ways. I didn't get the first part of that question, but I answered the I think it was about blood. So, um, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Are you, um, what are your thoughts about the blood? So, well, uh, I was offered to, uh, be introduced to the blood souls, uh, through, um, the person we know in common and that's Jim Simivan. Uh, but, uh, I, I would love to talk to them. Um, but I've not met them. Yeah, they seem very interesting. I love their um, I love their podcast. Like they're funny, but then they talk about serious serious things and make light humor of it, yeah. and just the whole story about it. Um, just their story is just very interesting and compelling because the way it, it's happened to like the whole family, and that's that's another commonality too that I you know with experiencers. Mm -hmm. I wish my grandma was still alive because with all her um, experiences with the spirit world, I want to ask her. You know. Um, have you ever seen, you know, like the UFO question? But when I saw mine, um, my when I had my experience and I came back and told my grandpa, he was just like, you're not supposed to be outside. Like he totally ignored. <laughs> like yeah, he thought he was yeah. he was going to get in trouble because he was the one sleeping on the couch that shouldn't should have heard me sneaking out to go outside to look at the sky. Mm -hmm. So um, he thought he was going to get in trouble and was like, basically didn't listen to anything I said. <laughs> um. Yeah, it seems like uh, I I like that so many people have questions, different questions tonight for you, um, because it kind of is like uh, it's letting, I feel like it's not so like rigid, like, mm -hmm. you know, um, as some other questions people have had. So um, this is one about your decor. <laughs> so so we've talked about everything tonight, guys, from uh, The Cure in 80s music to um, uh <laughs> his de decorations uh is there any significance about the wolf over your shoulder um in your on your wall well there uh, in south uh in the southwest especially in uh arizona uh, uh southern arizona uh, we have coyotes and that is a coyote and when you see coyotes at night um first of all if you see a coyote at night i wouldn't go there <laughs> but coyotes are known to uh arch their necks up the sky and howl or yip they actually yip oh yeah it's super weird yip, sound yip, 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 when you yip, first yip. hear it <laughs> as you know having lived in arizona uh, mm -hmm. so that is a coyote and it's just one of the decorative things we have the other is cocopelli you probably have seen cocopelli's around it's um oh my gosh cocopelli's everywhere yeah uh, out there <laughs> playing a flute um with an arch back playing a flute yeah and it's part of uh the hopi culture cocopelli having led the hopi people um to their home it's they interesting followed, that... they followed cocopelli and his flute playing it's it's uh i guess i, uh, I it's sort of like um the pie piper in a way you it, know it, that uh it's part it of the culture there's a lot of stories like that though a native tradition like my dad's uh the tribe in arizona called tohono odom there's a being called iotoy and he mm -hmm. led people out of um, the sacred mountain yeah and that's where we came from basically out right. of the earth and I, so. I, I have a story about that real quick. Um, so one, one of my beliefs um, that I've been researching was Atlantis, and the other was another uh, civilization coexisting with Atlantis called Lumeria. Yes. 
whereas Atlanteans seem to have been very rigid in their outlook. They're not militaristic, but very rigid, um, not very flexible in their outlook. They were highly technological. And the Lumerians were more mm. like more spiritual. I've heard this. And yes. the Atlanteans were a patriarchal society. The Lumerians were matriarchal. And that um, and come out through QHHT sessions uh, by various practitioners, that seems to be a common story about the Lumerians having something called the red crystal that had healing properties and the Atlanteans having some kind of virus and they wanted to get this crystal. And oh, in order wow. to get the crystal, the Atlanteans then practically like destroyed the Lumerians and the Lumerians had to like hide from the Atlanteans. Um, and the Atlanteans later, you know, um, evolved into like um, what we are today, kind of like um, a very like a rigid patriarchal society, mm -hmm. uh, very technologically oriented, whereas the Lumerians um, were more spiritually oriented. And so when the Lumerians scattered through East Asia and down the land bridge through Bering Straits and into Latin America and to, in Polynesia, um, their outlook was more uh, spiritual. Yes. And that's why, you know, like you said, uh, the uh, Tohono Odom tribe and other stories from our indigenous native peoples, they're more tuned into like nature. Um, they have more um, affinity toward understanding the divinity of everything in nature. Whereas the Atlanteans were more like nuts and bolts weapons. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that we're more like influenced by Atlanteans and the Lumerians are more on the uh, Western Hemisphere and the indigenous uh, populations. So um, that's one of the uh, theories, uh, hypotheses about uh, our origins and what it might have been ancient civilizations here. But if you look at um, uh, Sarah Brexman Cosme was a QHHT level three practitioner who uh, works with uh, 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 Julia, the, the daughter of Dolores Cannon. And together, you know, when they do these QHHT sessions with clients, they come up with the same story. People who have absolutely no background, no knowledge, no interest in UFOs, UAPs, or ancient civilizations under QHHT, they've been telling the exact same story. And she sh shared this story um, at the Starworks USA conference that I attended, sponsored by Jack Vallee and uh, Paula Harris. Oh, wow. And so amazing that, um, uh, you know, there was this like common story that is sort of like part of our uh, makeup or, or the hidden history that gets passed on uh, through maybe various incarnations that we have right. uh, about this story. And to me, it makes a lot of sense of, yeah, definitely. The, like the Eastern way of thinking, the Eastern religions way, and plus the more dogmatic Western religion way of, of thinking. Absolutely. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I've heard similar things about the two civilizations. But guys, I'm sorry if I'm not going to get to everybody's questions tonight um, because we are coming up on like almost an hour and 40 minutes. I saw a question. Um, we'll do one more if that's okay. That's fine. I'm here as long as you want me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody's, I feel like people are asking you questions they wanted to ask you. Um, where did it go? Um, 
I think it was Marco's question. Okay, um, question from, let me just put it up. Question from Crypto's Conundrum. What are the things that stand out the most? Um, do you mean like in general? Or um, can you clarify the question for me? Or do you understand what he's saying? Um, yes, I'll just give a, a brief rundown of my take on Crypto's Conundrum. First of all, um, you have to realize that it is fiction. It's a fictionalized account. Oh, okay. All right. No. Chase Brandon. Um, he uh, saw the actual files of Roswell in the historical intelligence collection. And based on what he saw, um, he confirmed that there was a craft and there were non human bodies recovered from that craft. And the CIA knows about it. Uh, that's the core of the story. What he did was when he investigated it, uh, and when he had uh, uh, researched it for himself, it's an informed research, but he had to cast it into a fictional form. What he did was pretty much confirm what I've said about Atlanteans, that the Atlanteans may have had some input into the way we turned out, and, and that um, humans are more recent and the phenomenon we're seeing, the beings that are here trying to interact with us have been here a lot longer than humans have. And they may have been mm -hmm. conflicts among them. And the humans um, evolved and certain humans were selected from way back, like long time ago, like tens if thousands of years ago. Uh, and um, I don't know if the word seeded is right, but certain humans were more elevated in their DNA than other humans. Mm -hmm. And that this elevation of DNA, um, as it goes from generation to generation, um, they were more tuned in to the phenomenon and they were receiving messages from the phenomenon. So his main character, Dr. Jonathan Chalmers, a CIA officer, uh, was receiving messages because he was proud of that bloodline of um, enhanced humans from way back in his generations um, and that he realized Dr. Chalmers did in the book that there was this like possible cataclysm that might happen on the earth and he wanted to prepare the earth for it. Now more on the uh, phenomenon side of UAPs uh, keeping in mind that Chase Brandon retired in 2006 I believe and he wrote the book probably starting in 2010 and finished it in 2012. Um, he said that you need to look under the water into the seas because that's oh. where the craft are. Hmm. They go into the sea and they come out of the sea. They fly in our air and they go back into the sea. He said the key to understanding what we're seeing is to look under the water and the government knows what's under the water. Um, and so that was the big takeaway for me that he understood there were such things as uh, USOs under right. the water. And that's what we're really seeing. And he also wrote uh, long before anyone knew about the USS Princeton and the Nimitz and the FA-18s, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he wrote about, and his narrative, he wrote about an earlier time in the 50s where there's an aircraft carrier with planes that encountered these craft. Um, and so he had knowledge of what was really going on. But he had to cast it into a way that could make um, the CIA approved. Okay. So his book was completely approved by CIA. And he told the story 
behind the story. And, and on Coast to Coast AM, he said, it's all in there. It's fiction, but it's all in there. You have to read be, not between mm -hmm. the lines, but okay. behind the lines. And he said in 2012, in his interview with George Nuri, it will come out. This story cannot be contained. It will come out. And here right. we are in 2022. Yeah, I have that later. book. I just haven't read it. So it's like it's in my stack of I want to read this. You know what I mean? So now I feel like I have to read it because it sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, but you keep in mind it's it's fiction. Oh, there's, yeah. There's yeah. No, I would give one thing away. There's no underground tunnel underneath CIA. There's no train system underneath CIA. In there's so many, uh, I've been down in the basement. Yeah. Down there. <laughs> there's no tunnel there. But yeah, um, I live near Fort things, Knox and people are like, there's there's tunnels yeah. under Fort Knox. And the other thing is that the dates for Roswell, he used the Gregorian calendar. So, oh, hey, I saw Roswell in July, but he wrote it in June because he had to use the Gregorian calendar. That's very clever. <laughs> yes, because then, see, he can write about Roswell in a fictional form. He can tell yes, you what happened yes. at Roswell, but not use the actual dates. So CI really says, okay, it's fiction. Uh, you can say whatever you want about Roswell from what you um, discovered, but since you got the dates wrong, ah, that's fine. <laughs> well, now I have to read it because my husband's like, you don't you don't read any fiction books. You all, aren't all your books reference books? I'm like, kind <laughs> of. But I have a fiction book that's just sitting there. See? The Crypto's Conundrum. <laughs> um spaghetti has a question joey's also his name <laughs> has john ever tested his oh, implant yeah. with the rf radio and you know him and yeah and perhaps it's emitting signals um i have not tested my implant with any kind of electronic device um and i don't know if it's emitting signals um but i do know that um like you say um sometimes you can hear it working I can hear uh, a crinkling sound in my head. One time I woke up with a uh, metallic flapping sound on my right ear, just flapping away. I could actually feel the air move as I was waking up. Something was there, coincident with one of my other experiences of encountering these beings in my dreams. That there was some flapping. But no, I haven't, I haven't tested with RF. Yeah, the dream world and people's dreams, um, the dreams of experiencers is such a it's it's another topic that's uh gets written off i think you know what i mean because sure. there's dreams where like yes i was researching this before bed all day every day and i had a dream about it but it wasn't weird it would it didn't feel real because i knew that where it was coming from and then there's the ones where you have the experience dream and you wake up with either sick or with markings um whatever hives weird feelings you know all this stuff so it's yeah. that's another route that i think gets overlooked a and lot I go, to, and then, I go i go to sleep with listening to and i think on on one of your questioners asked about if i use like listening to frequencies chakra frequencies oh, okay. and Sorry, I so yeah you know like uh 432 hertz or 528 mm -hmm. hertz um these sounds and also um uh, having uh the binaural experience of having two frequencies very close together and then the subtraction of those two frequencies are like two hertz, four hertz, six hertz. They're so close together and they kind of uh, resonate with uh, your brainwave frequencies. They're very, very, very low. Um, yeah. And I've had some very vivid dreams from doing that. And so I would say experiences, you know, if you go into a, um, a tank, a flotation tank and remove your physical senses from your experience. And some people do this chemically. Mm -hmm. uh, 
mushrooms or whatever they mm -hmm. use. Um, but you're trying to separate um, your conscious from your inner consciousness. And once you separate your senses, um, you can have some remarkable experiences. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah, I do. Um, we did a whole, um, we would do journey work when I was doing the priestess. Uh, it was called Pillars of Priestessing. And um, we would do journey work. And when I first started doing it, I was like, I mean, there's certain um, incense that you burn that will mm -hmm. like um, sort of trigger kind of like, like people talk about epigenetics, but I feel like mm -hmm. our, our soul has an epigenetic or like an epi soul genetic, you know, mm -hmm. like um, the things from last lifetime get triggered in this lifetime. And there's probably like a better name for it. Somebody probably knows the term, but um, it's uh, like things like frankincense or blue mm -hmm. lotus and, mm -hmm. um, and actually blue lotus will get you a little, have, you'll have fun with some blue lotus or some buchu leaf, you know, don't listen to me guys. I'm sorry. I'm not advocating that you go burn these, but um, a lot of people do like um, they'll like burn bay leaves for their manifestation stuff. And they'll be like, Oh, I should have opened the window for that. Cause a bay leaf will make you lightheaded too. But, but you know, it's in a lot of incense that people use for vision questing or, mm -hmm. um, you know, journey work or whatever you want to call it. But you can have these waking experiences um, when you meditate enough and, and you can have almost like an astral, like I, I've had like one out like awake, I call it like a waking astral travel. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was just sitting there meditating, like I was awake, I was sitting up on my meditation pillow and I had this crazy experience. Um, and when I came back, like I couldn't like walk, it was super weird oh, wow. and it wasn't like nothing was asleep. Like I, it's a good meditation yeah. pillow. Like my, I've, I've meditated longer than that before mm -hmm. and nothing's gotten to sleep. Um, it wasn't like a, like my foot fell asleep. It was like, yeah. Like there was not a connection in my between my brain and my body for a little bit, and it was actually very scary. So, mm -hmm. um, you can do it, but uh, I'm not even gonna say be careful because I think people should try it anyways. There, and it wasn't a bad thing. Like obviously, I can walk now and everything connected again. Mm -hmm. But it was just it was very strange that it happened. That was the first time it happened without anything, um, without any medicine or plant medicines or you know. Um, I think I had solfeggios playing on my mm -hmm. noise canceling headphones, yeah. so that'll do it. Uh, I have like tuning forks um, that my husband makes fun of me for because he like walks in and I'll be like with this thing like, yes. <laughs> <just> like <laughs> this this one is a 963 hertz so it's the upper chakras but he's like he just like shakes his head and walks away <laughs> I'll leave you with that he says you know <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah I was listening to those so tones will totally take you somewhere um, if you try it yeah I, th I think music is a healing thing and um uh, when, when I lived in Charlotte, uh, I used to go to the, like um, sound healing uh, meetings and um, I, the, the instrument I loved was the didger, didgeridoo, the Australian yeah, instrument played cool. by the Aboriginal peoples. And that one just sends me off the planet. I mean, when I hear that, I'm, I'm not on the planet anymore. So I think we all tune into certain sounds that resonate with us. Absolutely. For me, it's the drumming too, because my... Um... My mentor, she would play a drum, and this was in like COVID time, so it was online. It was online um, pillars of priestessing and priestessing, and she'd play the drum in a in a certain way where, if you let yourself, 
you're not here anymore. It feels like you're, like everything around you dissolves. So that's the benefit of using sound in your meditations. And it also helps a lot of people that can't just do like a, a meditation that have like um that are just starting. Like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can't quiet my mind, quiet my mind. You know, like if you have one that has music or guided or um, like you said, like a sound resonates with you, it'll get you there. There's there's a mm -hmm. there's a type of meditation for everybody. You just have to find it. But I think people get turned off because they think that they have to turn off their thoughts completely. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like a misconception. You just got to let them pass. Like you're not going to stop thinking initially, you know, um, but you just got to like let the thought go by. Like so people have that. Um, I think it holds them back, but if they incorporate sound instruments, sounds and instruments and different types of music, then I think that they would get there. Um, they would be able to have these transcendental experiences without the help of other things. Um, Benji, who's awesome, says, why are so many of us creative people, musicians, artists, writers, painters, et cetera, attracted to the phenomena? And why do, does it seem to seek us out? Well, um, I would say that the, those in the creative arts uh, probably are more right brain oriented. And so we know the right brain is more about, uh, you know, feelings, visualization, uh, intuition, holistic thinking, arts, imagination. And again, um, like we were talking about, when you uh, isolate your left brain of your uh, sensory, physical senses, um, your uh, consciousness, and go more toward your inner consciousness, your inner self, um, the, the linear thinking, the mathematics, uh, the logical thinking, and just being obsessed with facts, they go away. Uh, and then you activate those other parts of the brain that are more about feelings and imagination, uh, holistic uh, thinking, uh, arts and, and rhythm. And so I think that's the reason why that uh, you're attracted to the phenomenon because the phenomenon is, is, is all about that. It's all about communicating with your inner self and that's the way they communicate. Yeah, definitely. And it brings you into like a flow state. So I know a guy um, named John actually, and he plays his guitar and then he ends up um, seeing UFOs and mm -hmm. he, he, he has a whole channel and he talks to them, but he to get into that receptive state, he plays his mm -hmm. guitar because that's his thing. So um, I think that it like, you know, from a very hippie and woo standpoint, it lifts <laughs> your vibrations to a point where you are more receptive and almost like hyper aware, but in a, in a energetic way. Yeah. And sometimes physical way, because that's one of my things is like, you know, you see this being in your room or you have an experience or you see a light in the sky that just like shakes you for some reason. And you go into this like almost like a panic mode but or an excitement, you know, mm -hmm. your your adrenaline system kicks in. And some people I feel like don't leave that behind and or, or it doesn't go all the way back to normal. So they they have this like, you know, hypersensitivity and hyper awareness to things around them and it trickles into like the energetic world because sometimes it's like you can only do so much with your body right so so yes um oh okay um this is i think this will be our final question because i feel like we've had so many i mean you've been very generous with your time and i really appreciate it and we could definitely ask you questions all night so um are you familiar? Rachel, I think is talking about the Tyler from um, Diana Pasulka's book. Mm -hmm. So are oh. you, do you, do you have any well, knowledge about that? <laughs> uh, 
like I said, I'm the worst read in ufology, so I have not read <laughs> American Cosmic. I've heard about Tyler D. I believe he is involved with, um, uh, no, that's Tim Taylor. Tyler D. Oh, okay. So I, I have to say, no, I'm not familiar with Tyler D. Um, and I know people know his real name. Um, but frequency healing is pretty much where we're going with what we previously discussed. Um, I think sound is, is key to understanding some of this phenomenon. Um, and I'm very interested. I believe in uh, frequency healing. I believe in sound healing. Um, there was a woman in Charlotte that I used to, like I said, I used to attend uh, her sound healing therapy sessions. Um, and what really does it for me is like I'm dating myself, but uh, Grateful Dead, uh, they used to play these like hours long. They just go fly out somewhere. They will start a song. And the next <laughs> thing you know, Jerry Garcia is doing magic with his guitar. And I just sit there with my headphones on and I'm not on the planet anymore. I'm just like, yeah. I don't know where I'm at. And so I think music is key and frequency healing is key. Absolutely. Uh, I do believe that frequency healing can really, uh, it might kind of rebalance things in your body. Uh, yes. Could, uh, if there's DNA that's damaged, it could like attempt to fix that. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know too much about what Tyler D specifically did, uh, but I do believe in frequency healing. Yeah, same here. And then back to the ancients, those, uh, the, the, the smaller three pyramids that were of the three different types of granite were supposed like supposedly you know i guess people say they think that those were sound healing chambers so uh, that could be we could talk about egypt for another two hours but oh yeah um <laughs> i'm gonna cut it off now hang out for a minute don't disappear i'm gonna thank you backstage and i want to say thank you to everybody that joined in the live chat i see a lot of i see some new names and i see some people that have been here so thank you so much uh i put john's uh twitter info in the description do you have anything else coming up john are you going to be on anything anywhere else that people should follow you well i can say this um and I, i'm sure he doesn't mind me saying this um that uh tomorrow i'll be interviewed by john greenwald for the black vault oh very cool and uh later this month uh i will be on stage uh, in phoenix oh uh, with nice. the phoenix mufon organization oh, um cool. I'll, it's a, a on stage q a using my slides as a backdrop. I, I gave awesome. them my slides and said, you know, just put up any slide you want and I'll talk about it. So uh, they'll be interviewing me on stage at the Phoenix MUFON. That's on really cool. uh, February 26th. Um, I may have another interview with um, Calling All Beings. Nice. Uh, with DJ DeMarco. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, they're, they're all, uh, all the cabbies are awesome people. Oh, they're, they're fantastic. And so I'm going to take a little break from that uh, afterwards and because I need okay. to do what I call my day job uh, the Cold War <laughs> museums uh, there are three of them in the country Cold War uh, organiz societies organizations and I'll be doing more briefings related to my uh, actual day job at CIA and, very cool uh, yeah and one of them uh, uh, my brother-in-law John Welch uh, he's a co-founder with one of the Cold War museums with uh, Francis Gary Powers Jr his father was shot down in a U2 and uh, so I'm doing a presentation for them. 
Oh, very cool. I'm and, sure that uh, that's all interesting as well, too. So you have you have your yeah. day job, interesting stuff, and then you have your UFO, interesting stuff, and then you have your spiritual, interesting stuff. And <laughs> yeah. And do you have astrologers in your community? Um, People who follow astrology at all? I do, but I don't know. I don't personally know somebody that okay. is like astrology only. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can do people's charts. I do, I do them. Um, it takes me a long time because I don't do it a lot. So like, okay. if, like I've done people's star charts um, yeah. and like typed them out. They get like a whole report when I do it because it's like, sure. it's, uh, there's well, I'll just, I'll just leave this with you. Um, I'm sun and cancer. Um, my ascendant sign is Sagittarius and I have my moon and Leo. <laughs> You're <laughs> just going to much... send me your chart because now I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll talk about this because if you want your chart done, I, I think uh, my fun. wife is an astrologer. She she's still oh, my chart. She? Yeah, okay, yeah. very yeah. cool. Yeah, I just want to put that out because a lot of people are wondering, well, you know, why do you think the way you do? And I believe in astrology. By the way, I I do believe in astrology. And people say, how do you believe that? And they go, well, it's about it's because people are used to like uh, magazine astrology. They oh, only yeah, do that's their nothing. sun sign, yeah. and that's nothing. The sun sign is kind of like your final form. Like you know, it's not going to resonate because you have to take into account, like you said, sun, moon, rising, and then in within your chart, there's the chirons, there's your planetary placements, what house is it in, um, your north node, your south node. There's a lot more than just like what's your sign. You know what I mean? Exactly. So <laughs> Yes, and I, and uh, you know we're seventy percent of water, and the tides uh, on the oceans are affected by the positions of the moon and the sun and all the other celestial bodies pull on that water, and since right. uh, we are um, uh, we are in an environment uh, within the uh, fluids in our mother's bodies, there's water there too. There's fluid, and it's all affected by by the position of these celestial bodies, and that's why astrology works. Yeah, we'd be silly yeah. to think that it's going to affect a whole ocean and planet, but not our tiny little right. water systems, yeah. you know? Well, okay. yeah, if your wife wanna comes on and talk about astrology, she's always welcome <laughs> um, because I do have different types of people on. Um, like I have a paranormal guy coming on. I have a demonologist coming up in March. So um, I talk to a lot of different anything um, interesting to me, so which is almost everything. So, <laughs> But yes, thank you so much. Thanks to everybody in the chat. Um, I. I will post like what I have coming up next on Instagram, probably tomorrow, the day after. And if you're looking for ways to support the channel, go ahead and give a like, subscribe. There's other ways in the description to support me. Um, and thank you for your time. And if you're listening to audio, thank you so much as well. If you're here in person later, I really, really appreciate everybody and have a great night.